expert with your host, Stephanie Arnold. Hi, and welcome to the show, Mark Martos Villa. Would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Sure thing. I'm a senior economist uh, with Econ One uh, here in the Los Angeles office, and I specialize, generally speaking, in finance matters. Thank you, Mark. Well, we always like to open with um, a question for everybody, and our question that we've been asking is, what was your first job? My first job was a finance professor at the UCLA, not so far away from where we are right now in downtown LA. Wow. Did you like it? I loved it, yes. Okay. Well, what are you here to talk to us about today? Uh, we'll discuss uh, a bunch of uh, cases that we can collectively call LIBOR manipulation. Well, let me start with a basic question. And Mark, what is the LIBOR? LIBOR stands for London Interbank Offered Rate, and it represents the average interest rate at which banks borrow from each other. It's an index, and in economics, when we say something is an index, we mean that is uh, an interest rate that's calculated as an average. Um, in this case, based upon a survey sent out to banks, asking them to report the interest rate at which the bank would offer to lend money to other banks. There are several such indices, depending upon the country and the currency they represent. LIBOR is probably the best known one, but there's also such things as the Euribor. The Euribor, um, as opposed to the LIBOR, is the rate at which uh, European banks in the European Union would offer to lend money to each other. Mark, why is this index important? That's a very good question, uh, Stephanie. It's important because this index, this index is a benchmark. So, um, so far I've uh, highlighted two things about the LIBOR. It's an index, and second of all, it's a benchmark, and that's the most important one, perhaps. This means that the index is used in many other financial contracts around the world. Let me give you a simple example. In mortgage contracts uh, with a variable interest rate, the mortgage rate might be set as a function of the LIBOR. That means that uh, the amount of money you're going to pay in interest rates as part of your mortgage depends directly upon the evolution of the LIBOR. Other types of lending and financial instruments are also expressed in terms of this index, which effectively means, um, as I explained in the mortgage example, uh, that uh, other interest rates uh, are directly related to the LIBOR. Wow, that's really interesting, Mark. I'd like to transition a little bit to litigation. Uh, what are the allegations um, made in LIBOR manipulation cases? The complaints indicate that banks allegedly manipulated and also fixed by way of colluding among themselves this index. That is, not only did they misrepresent the rate at which they would offer money to other banks, but also they jointly agreed to fix the rate. And this is why these cases also fall in on the realm of antitrust. Oh, uh, why would they do that? That's a... Uh, Again, it's an, an interesting question and I guess an open-ended one so far. Uh, the complaints explain that banks had incentives to manipulate the index because that would increase their overall profits. And why would their overall profits be affected by the LIBOR? Well, because these banks have 
securities in their portfolios whose value depend upon the value of the LIBOR. And so what the complaints explain is that um, changing the LIBOR would in, in turn change the profitability of their portfolios in a way uh, that would benefit them. Furthermore, and as a second motive uh, that the complaints uh, explain, reporting a lower interest rate during times of financial turbulence would indicate that they were in better shape than they truly were. And uh, some of us uh, have termed this motive window dressing. Who are the plaintiffs in this litigation? Plaintiffs are investors such as pension funds and other institutional investors that bought financial securities whose profitability they believe depended upon the value of the LIBOR. And as I, as I explained uh, before, the LIBOR being a benchmark meant that uh, there is a variety of financial instruments whose terms depended and profitability depended upon the LIBOR rate. Can you talk to us a little bit about the current state of the LIBOR litigation? Sure thing, I'm happy to. Before I do that though, um, let me just back up a little bit and and, and start by saying that uh, this uh, type of uh, litigation started with government investigations in the US and the UK, and that along the way several banks settled with those uh, government institutions. Um, Having said that, the landmark LIBOR case uh, just passed uh, the initial certification stage in March um, in uh, what I think is an important decision by the court where one class was certified and two others were denied uh, certification. Um, the court was important also because it invalidated some of the plaintiff experts' uh, analysis. And so that's why I think that this litigation seems to be here to stay, even though plaintiffs' experts uh, face challenges, um, at least uh, uh, um, especially w as evidenced by the court's uh, recent ruling. Um, apart from the class-type uh, litigation, um, as of late, we've also seen individual plaintiffs suing banks directly rather than as a class. For example, to give you a very uh, very recent example, DFDIC has sued these banks on behalf of a bankrupt bank. Mark, since you're a finance expert, if you are an expert in this case, how would you approach damages or liability? I understand the main issue to be the following. How does an expert calculate what would have been the LIBOR but for the alleged misconduct that we read in the complaint? And I think that here finance academic research provides us with several scientific tools. Um, and I'm going to talk about two of them. These two scientific tools, generally speaking, come from two subfields in finance that I think have addressed the valuation of financial indices like the LIBOR. On the one hand, we have the market microstructure literature, which in general utilizes the frequency of trading data in order to inform ourselves about the value of certain securities or indices. I believe that this is of somewhat limited value here because the LIBOR index uh, is based on a survey rather than actual trading data. However, I think that these type of tools can be of, uh, of use here as well. On the other hand, we have what we call the asset pricing literature, uh, 
which uh, generally speaking again suggests uh, estimating bad for rates based upon economic fundamental drivers of such rate. Um, when we think about this index being a borrowing interest rate, um, then I would immediately say that uh, this interest rate should be driven by risk factors, um, meaning the riskier the asset, in this case loans among banks, the higher the rate. And so identifying the risk factors and measuring them can help an expert determine what would have been the LIBOR absent the alleged misconduct. Well, thank you, Mark. You know, this is a topic that I'm not overly familiar with. Is there anything else that you would like to share with us? Uh, sure. Uh, one more thing that I would like to add to the importance of these issues is that following the LIBOR case, many other benchmark rates have been brought up as other indices that might have been manipulated. Among them are uh, some that I've already mentioned, such as the Euribor, but also the Cybor in Singapore, and many other indices that end in IBOR. It also seems like this type of alleged manipulation has uh, spread out to somewhat different indices. Um, and here I can point out as another one that's uh, fairly relevant in financial markets, such as the ISDA fixed rate, or um, a very recent complaint about the manipulation of the Mexican government bond auction rates. I'm following uh, these cases closely as I'm looking for uh, further insights and uh, analysis that can help our clients. Mark, thank you so much for being here. We always ask everyone on their first podcast appearance the same question. And that question is, what is your favorite part about being an economist? It has been my pleasure, Stephanie. And I would say that I like economics because it's a good combination of two things that I like. One is economics speaks about uh, decisions people make and so it's something that's very tangible and very real world and second of all economics uses tools that such as mathematics and statistics which are subjects that i've always enjoyed uh, during my high school and college years again mark it was a pleasure having you here we look forward to having you back and if you'd like to learn more about Mark Martos Vila, head to our website at www.econ1.com. Thank you for joining us on Inside Expert. Mm-hmm.